0: Good morning. The sermon text for today is from the book of Matthew, Matthew 2, 1 through 12. It's on page 807 in your Pew Bibles. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Thanks, Jim, for reading that for us. Again, um, if you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and keep that open there. Uh, We won't reference it a whole lot, but um, it will be right in the front end here. As you know, we are in our sermon series here of uh, Christmas Carol Theology, where we're looking at uh, very familiar Christmas carols and seeing the theological backdrop of it to see where uh, what, what they're communicating, because often we sing these very familiar songs, and they're wonderful, and every year we sing them, and, and it's great. But what are they truly communicating, right? What, what are they teaching us? Uh, that's what we're looking at uh, each week here during this sermon series. And uh, this week's Christmas carol is, O Come All Ye Faithful. Uh, the wise men that we just read about here uh, faithfully followed a star. And uh, some people think that this is part of the, the backdrop of the, sto- of the song that we're going to look at the theological significance of here, is that there was uh, a faithful following of the star. Um, they obviously were in tune, uh, the Magi, these wise men here, they were in tune to uh, what God was leading them, because, again, they followed and they searched diligently until they found the the Christ child and then uh, they listened to what they were warned about uh, in a dream because as we read the narrative as the narrative was just read to us a minute ago um, Herod had nefarious plans and uh, under the pretense of wanting to worship the Christ child and uh, in a dream these wise men were uh, warned of that. And so they, they did, went back another way so they didn't have to go back through uh, the place where Herod was. And so uh, we see some faithfulness here uh, right on the onset here from this. Oh, uh, you know, Come All You Faithful is one of those uh, songs that, again, is very familiar for a long time. Uh, the author... Uh, was unknown until there was some academic work done on it. Uh, but it's now widely accepted that a man by the name of John Francis Wade uh, wrote this and composed the music for it. Uh, Wade lived uh, from about 1711 to 1786. Uh, the earliest manuscript of this song that we have uh, was actually signed by him uh, in this from around 1743. Now, the original song had four verses to it that he he didn't write it in English, uh, wrote it in Latin, I believe, first. And it's been translated uh, in multiple languages, uh, countless languages since then. Uh, but over time, in the, you know, we typically only sing three verses. In fact, I think in our hymn book, there's only three verses listed there. Uh, but there's a, there's a fourth verse that he originally wrote. And uh, then, but over the course of the, the years since uh, the mid 1700s, another four verses or so have been added at different times in history to the song. But really, his original verse one, verse uh, uh, verse uh, three, and verse four are the ones that we typically uh, sing. We typically omit verse two. Um, and so we're going to center today's teaching around the biblical command that's captured in the refrain, though, of the song. We, we sing, and then there's the, the chorus or refrain where it says, "Oh come, let us adore him, Oh come, let us adore him, Oh come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. That's what we're going to center our teaching this morning on here. And before I dive into that, though, we, we need to really define what does it mean to adore um, because we have to have a, a right understanding of that if we're going to make the right application of that. and so I looked it up in the dictionary like you know you should do is you you look up uh, uh, in the dictionary here for some reason my uh, my clicker is not working here. Let me try this one. I have a backup for such a day as this. So let me see if did this one work? Okay. This one's not. Oh, here we go. I think that's working now. So we'll see. We'll see how this goes. Um, I looked it up in the dictionary. I looked the word up in the dictionary, and you can see there's really kind of three uh, types of uh, definitions for it. Uh, Merriam-Webster says, uh, to worship or honor as deity or divine. That's what adore means. To regard with loving admiration or devotion or to be very fond of. Um, I like that, you know, verse in number two definition there, the example is he adored his wife, loving, admiration, devotion, that's good usage, number three, adores pecan pie, There's the that's what they chose to put in there for the, the example there, it's a good thing they didn't switch the two I suppose, but uh, about that, um, uh only being fond of your wife but regarding with loving admiration devotion to pecan pie it's probably a good call on their part um but here we have the the definitions here of adore, right to worship honor as deity and divine really all three of these can fit into what we're talking about here in this song uh but really the first one is is the one that we're going to talk about here is when we talk about oh come let us adore him Christ the Lord. Okay, so we're going to break this up into really two main points this morning as we go through this, and uh, I'm looking forward to discussing this with you. But let me pause and pray and ask God's blessing, and uh, then we'll 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 jump right in. Father, again, it's uh, a joy to stand in front of people and open your Word and talk about theological matters. Uh, But Lord, I I definitely don't want to do that without asking you for guidance. because uh, this is your word, and, and these are your truths. Uh, this isn't my truth. This isn't anything I've come up with. These are things that uh, you have revealed to us in your word, and we're so grateful for that. And so for the next few minutes, I pray we'd be able to put everything aside. I pray we'd be able to put all the things that are, are kind of capturing or, or seeking to capture our attention. Maybe uh, uh, you know plans today, celebrations later today or tomorrow, travel plans, maybe the weather, maybe sick sickness, uh, maybe just different emotions of the time, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that we'd be able just to put this aside just for a few minutes and look at uh, what you have for us here. And I pray, Father, I pray that I would be able to communicate in a way that's helpful, in a way that's biblically accurate, in a way that's honoring to you, in a way that pleases uh, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so these things we're asking for because we need your help. We need you to sustain us. For it's in Christ's name we do pray, amen oh, come let us adore him. The first reason, the first thing we're going to talk about here is, oh, come let us adore him because he deserves it. Okay, so if we're going to look at the theological background of this song, and again, if you have one of the handouts for you, you see that the the, the verses are listed there on the right-hand side. If you didn't pick up a handout, you can maybe pick up the uh, uh, a hymn book and and look up, oh, come all you faithful. I, I I don't know what number it is, but you could look it up in the index in the back uh, if you want to have the text beside you there. But really, what he's talking about, what Wade is talking about, the author here is talking about, is that we are to adore Christ simply and first and foremost because he deserves it. And we cannot ever lose sight of that. And and sometimes it's like, I feel like some of the things that I need to communicate um, uh, are going to be received with more of like, well, well, duh, of course, of course. Or isn't this obvious? But sometimes it's the obvious things that we miss or we forget about or because we are so familiar with them that it it loses its pull on us. It loses its influence over us. And so the reality is this Christmas Eve morning is that we must adore Christ because he deserves it. He deserves all of our adoration. He deserves our worship. He deserves our devotion to him. He deserves us to be very fond of him, to use all the definitions there. He he deserves it. This is what Christ deserves. And this is what Wade is trying to communicate in this beloved Christmas carol that we sing all the time. In, in verse 1 there of what he's talking about in the song. He says, Oh, come all you faithful, joyful, and triumphant. And then what does he say at the end there, right before the refrain, Come and behold him, born the king of angels. And so the first reason that we really must adore him is the, the why he deserves it, is because he is the king of angels. And you say, okay, what's significant about that? What's so significant? And why did Wade put in there that he's the king of angels? And is that even biblical? Because it's one thing for us to look at a song, and we can look at what it's teaching, but we must, Always run it through the filter of Scripture. Is this what Scripture teaches? Because we can sing songs, and just because someone wrote it doesn't mean that is actually true. What does he mean by this? What does it mean that Jesus is the king of angels? Why is it significant? Well, the Bible does teach that Jesus is king over all. He's a king of kings, the lord of lords. And that he uh, rules over everything. So it is true that Jesus is king over angels. But why did he put this? Why didn't he start with that he's king over humans? Why did he start with king of angels? I don't know for certain because you know, Mr. Wade and I have never had a conversation. Uh, We kind of missed each other by a few years in this this life and journey here, but maybe in heaven one day we'll have a conversation and he can tell me if I'm right or wrong about this. But here's why I believe it's significant. I believe it's significant because if you and I were to come face-to-face with an angel today, an angel in his glory, and we were to come face-to-face with him, what do you think would happen? How would we respond to that? You see, it is true that we can encounter, the Bible teaches we can encounter an angel and not even know about it because it appears that angels can change their, their form. But in their glory, whenever someone was face-to-face with an angel, what did they do? And, they, and there was an angel in their glory. What did they ha- What did the angel have to tell the person? There's a couple things. Do not be afraid is one. Okay, do not be afraid. In fact, both times that for Mary and Joseph, when they were visited by the angel, that is the common denominator in the messages, do not fear. Why were they saying that? Because they were intimidating. There was a second thing that the angels often had to tell them. Does anyone remember? What was that? Yes, yeah, stand up. Why? Why were they falling down? Because they were falling down to worship them and they were like no 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 do not worship right we are not god and so the reason why that wade starts out with this and he says he is the king of angels is that if our reaction to an angel is that where we come face to face with an angel and we are undone and we are on our face and we are terrified and what is wade saying very subtly here born the king of angels That is the magnitude, the glory of Jesus Christ is that if we see him in all his glory, we are undone because he is so uh, uh, full of glory. He is so powerful. He is so great that it's actually terrifying to us sinners here. And so by calling Jesus the king of angels, what Wade is communicating here is that Jesus is actually superior to angels, And if they are the most fierce creatures that we can come in contact with, then he's saying he's even above that. And this is very biblical in the book of Hebrews, and in Hebrews chapter 1, the author of Hebrews, and we're not really certain who that is, but the author of Hebrews, he starts laying out this, this this really great doctoral work in the book of Hebrews of why Jesus is best, why Jesus is better, okay? He starts with where? Angels. He starts comparing Jesus to angels. In Hebrews chapter 1, he says this. He gives us some questions here. He says, okay, so for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I've begotten you or again i will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son and again when he brings the firstborn into the world he says let all god's angels worship him of the angels, he says, he makes his angels wind and his ministers, uh, the flame of fire. And to, and to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand and I'll take, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? What is the author of Hebrews doing here? He's comparing Jesus to angels and he's saying, did, did, did God say this? To, did the Father say this to any of the angels? The answer is no, 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 no. Why? But he said it to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is superior to angels. Now you say again, well, okay, Jeremy, that makes sense. I know that. If you were, in fact, if I were to hand out a quiz, okay, when you walked in today, and you know, one question quiz, all right, is Jesus superior to angels, okay? I dare say you all would have passed, okay? I don't think there'd be too many people here who would have been like, you know, hmm, Are angels higher than Jesus? I don't know. I don't think we would have had that. So again, why am I making the point here? Why is this song so important? Because practically, we can adore so many other things much more than Jesus. We can adore things that we don't understand, angels, and we can get so excited about learning about these mysterious things or all these things about this, and we forget to adore Jesus. Come, Let us adore him. First of all, because he is the king of angels. He has other things to say, though, to point our hearts to that are are very biblical. In verse 2, and this is the verse that we do not typically sing, and I do not believe it's in our current hymn book that we use here, we have here. um, But the point he's making is that Jesus is God. Now, I put out there in my weekly email, I asked, um, you know, about this is verse 2 that is usually omitted. But uh, Wade leans on an ancient Christian document uh, for the language of this. And I I put it in there just to see if anyone actually reads my emails. And uh, a couple of people did respond uh, and got the answer correct. Okay. Uh, And I have to give honor to whom honors due. Jim Pollock was the first one that got it correct. Okay. The ancient uh, document leaned on was which document? Nicene Creed, okay? Nicene Creed is what, was later, what, what Wade leans on here. Here's what the Creed says, okay? We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in the one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God of God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, one in being with the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he was born of the Virgin Mary and became man. I kind of chopped a few pieces there just to, for the, the center on what we needed here for today. But you can see, if you look at the, the, the verse 2, what Wade writes God of God, light of light, lo, he abhors not the Virgin's womb, very God, begotten, not created. That comes straight from the Nicene Creed. Now, why is that important? Because the Nicene Creed came out of. Um, you know you would think it was the council of Nicaea but it wasn't because they didn't do things that made sense all the time it was the council of Constantinople and so they they had this in 325 this is where Constantine gathered about 300 bishops together to solve a debate and there was a theological debate that was raging and it was threatening to uh, divide all of Christianity at that time and it was over the teachings of a guy named Arius Okay, so he was teaching Arianism. This is not the same Arianism that uh, Nazi Germany would would promote later on. This is a different Arianism. But Arius, Arius his teaching was that Jesus was not truly God. Um, he was created by the Father. He was the best example. Um, uh, Jesus was a, uh, of a lesser God-like status than the Father. He had a different nature than the Father. Uh, so that meant that the Son was not eternal and not omnipotent. Uh, but according to Arius, the Son was the first and greatest of all that God created and was closer to God than all others. And, and furthermore, the rest of creation relates to Father through Jesus. So in Arius's mind, Jesus was crucial. He was important, but he just wasn't God. And so this debate was raging, and so uh, Council of Constantinople 325, Constantine gets everyone together, and I I wish I could go into all some of the details about why this was just such a a significant event, Um, but here we have uh, people like Athanasius coming and going toe-to-toe with uh, with Arius, and actually St. Nick. Um, was present there, okay? And there's—I'm I'm not making this up. There was a rumor that uh, Saint Nick was so angry that he—he uh, he punched, he slaps Arius across the face. I don't think it happened because that story doesn't come out to almost a thousand years later. Um, but it's just kind of fun to think about Santa Claus smacking some heretic. Um, so he's there, okay? All right. I mean, this is just a really cool event. And this is what Wade is leaning on. He's leaning on this document and saying, what does the Bible teach about Jesus? He teaches The Bible teaches that Jesus is God. And it's very cool how it is God from God, light from light. But again, very God, begotten, not created. That is hitting right at the heart of Arian teaching that says that he was created by the Father. Therefore, if he's created, then he is not on the same level as the Father. And this is what he's, he's getting at here. And so Jesus is God. Of course, this is what the Bible teaches over and over and over again, that Jesus is God. So when we come back to, oh, come all you faithful, come, let us adore him. Why are we adoring this baby? Why are we adoring Jesus? It's because, my friends, he is God. That's why. He's equal with the Father. And, 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 the, and the reason why I bring it up, what Wade leaned in on in the Nicene Creed is that this has been something that was debated a long time ago, and, uh, and it came to consensus of what the Bible teaches concerning this is that Jesus is God. John 1 is a great text to go to for that, okay? John 1 is a text that talks about, in the beginning as was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Okay, what is that talking about? I'm going to mention this text later on in the sermon, um, uh, but uh, it's very significant here as well. Is that it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Okay, it's talking clearly about Jesus there. Jesus, remember I told you, angels always said, do not worship me, but Jesus never stopped it. Jesus received worship. Why? Because he's God. Jesus died on the cross, Why did they crucify him? Because he claimed to be God. Okay, so Jesus is God. So we're going to adore Christ this Christmas morning. Why are we going to do that? First of all, he is superior to even angels, the highest, most fearsome creatures we can think of, more powerful than us, and he is way above them. And so we are going to worship him. We're going to adore him. Why are we going to adore him? Because he is God. But thirdly, Wade draws our attention in verse 3, Is because adoring Christ glorifies God. Sing choirs of angels, sing in exaltation, sing all ye citizens of heaven above, glory to God, all glory in the highest. And so, really, what we're doing here is we're joining the choirs of angels and giving all glory to God in the highest. I think of Luke. Luke chapter 2, verse 14, it says, glory to God. This is the angels, they're saying this. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is when they're saying, they're announcing this to the shepherds, and the shepherds go and find Jesus, and what do they do? They worship him, or they adore and so they're joining what the angels said. They're joining this, and they're saying, we're glorifying God. Hebrews again, you go back to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He is, Jesus, is the radiance of what? The glory of God. And the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so we adore Christ this morning, this Christmas Eve morning. Because it brings glory to God when we do that. The Father receives glory. You say, how can I please God? How, how is it that I just, I, I just want to make God happy, so to speak? There's a little bit of problematic with that. We can talk about that thought in a minute here uh, or later on if you like. But here's the, that's a, often a thought that we have. How can, I, how, how can I please God? You adore Christ. You make Christ your most important person in your life, above a spouse, above children, above employer, above anyone else in this world, above your mentors, above anyone else, you make Christ number one, God is glorified. And that's going to have some significant impact, right, on on the decisions that we make. And what we read and what we don't read and, and, and our conversations that we have and, and uh, the intake of, of uh, entertainment and music and things like that. All this, if Christ is number one and we're running through everything through the filter of, is Christ, would Christ be happy with this? Or is Christ honored in this? That really impacts our lives. So... We adore Christ because it glorifies God. But then I told you I would come back to John 1, and here's the fourth reason that Wade points us to in his beloved Christmas carol, is that Jesus is the word of the Father. That's why we adore him. We adore him because he is the word of the Father. Uh, And it says, Yea, Lord, we greet thee, Wade wrote this, born this happy morning, Jesus, to thee be all glory given, word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. I quoted John 1 earlier, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Later on in verse 14, he gives the answer of who he's talking about there, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then the author of Hebrews clarifies it when he says this in Hebrews chapter 1, long ago. And many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appeared, appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And how did God create the world? By spoken word, by the word. That's why Jesus is called the word, he was there at creation. He was there. This is why we sang earlier about, uh, there was a line in one of the songs that we sang earlier about, um, created Mary, now Mary's son. I don't know if you picked up on that. I mean, he was there in creation, and now he became born as a baby. This Christmas Eve, as we're, as we're celebrating this, and we're coming to this idea of, like, why should we adore Christ? One of the reasons is that he's the very word of the Father. You want to know what the Father wants? You want to know what the Father's ideas are? You get to know the Son. This is why Jesus says, if you've known me, you've known the Father. That's what Jesus said. So get to know Christ. How well do you know Christ? How often do you spend ta- time talking and praying and meditating on Christ? There is no greater thing that you and I can do. This is what we're called to do. Because it shapes our actions then. It's not just a life of contemplation that I'm advocating here. It's contemplation on the Christ child that leads to a life of action. So we adore Christ because he is the word of the Father. So Jesus deserves our adoration. We are to worship him. We are to give loving admiration and devotion to him. And we are to be very fond of him. To go through all those definitions that Miriam Webster gave us at the beginning here. So we'll come. Let us adore him. He is the King of Kings. He is God. He it brings glory to God when we do that. And he's the Word of the Father. Now, I told you I had two points. First one's longer, the second point is very important. So, if we say that we are to adore Christ because he deserves it, then, secondly, here, oh, come, let us adore him. It is crucial that we do. Everyone here. Doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter where you're at, doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter if you're listening online or not, whatever the case may be, it is crucial that everyone here glorifies God by adoring Christ. It's absolutely crucial. Okay? Let me unpack that for you just for a second here. Back in verse, and Wade captures this, okay? He captures this for us. In the very first verse, he says, what does it say? The very first line, O come. All ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. Now, tonight, Anook is going to sing a song that's a spin on this in a different way of how we feel. Okay? Um, the song is entitled, Oh Come All Ye Unfaithful. Okay? Uh, because we don't always feel faithful, we don't always feel joyful, we don't always feel triumphant. And wait here, what he's communicating in his song, he's not communicating that we just bury heads in the sand of all the problems and the sins of this world and in our own life. Actually, what this does is it's teaching a biblical truth that when we adore Christ, that's the basis for these things. Okay, so let me unpack that. Adoring Christ leads to faithfulness. Okay? Oh, come all you faithful. You want to know how you can be faithful? You adore Christ. That's how you're faithful. Uh, there's there's four reasons, and I, I shared this. Uh, there was a a week or so ago, the school my my kids go to, uh, the Christian school. They they had asked me to uh, speak at their uh, Christmas chapel, um, and so I did. And. Um, I think my daughter was nervous I was going to embarrass her, which I tried, but I didn't, I'm sure. But uh, no, it was, it was a good time. We were, we were, it was, I was glad to speak today. It was interesting. It was a special chapel. So it was all the whole school. So it was kindergarten through eighth grade, all in one room, okay? And if you've ever done any type of speaking to audience or whatever, you know that's a challenge, I mean, you got kindergartners, you got all the way up through eighth grade. It's a challenge, okay? And so I was trying to figure out what to talk about here, and it had to be, you know, I knew it needed to be Christmassy and stuff. And so I settled on this idea of that the Advent helps us actually obey. And I'm not going to re preach that sermon for you uh, here, or that message for you here, but that was just a, kind of my main thesis here is that the Advent really helps us do what we're supposed to do, and that is obey. And uh, in that, uh, while, while I was teaching that, I unpacked for them that there's really four reasons, okay? Four main reasons why people choose to obey, okay? Have you ever thought, why do people obey the rules? You know, there's really four main reasons. The first one is uh, they actually agree with the rule, okay? So the rule makes sense to them. Maybe they've advocated for the rule. They want the rule. And so they are really happy about obeying that rule because it makes sense to them. And so they agree with it. So that's the first reason. The second reason is that um, they want the personal benefits that go along with uh, keeping the rule. Okay? So the illustration I gave them in chapel was I said, what if I told you that the rule of the day is you had to only use your left hand? only use your left hand for everything. Now, a few students were happy about that. I surmised that they were left-handed. Okay. Stay in school. You can be that smart too. Okay. Um, But the point is that they were happy about that. And so I said, but what if I did this? What if I, what if I said um, that, and of course, a lot of the students didn't like that rule. I said, but what if I said, if you only use your left hand for everything for the rest of the day? Because clearly they were not agreeing with the rule, and clearly they uh, uh, it wasn't something they wanted. But there was, I, I had to give them a benefit. I said, what if your sibling never entered your room again? There was like a cheer that went up, you know? Like people were tying their hand behind their back at this point. I'm like it's not really a rule. This is an illustration here, okay? But what's what changed? What changed is that the benefit that they were going to receive from it now was worth keeping the rule. Okay, so there's four main reasons. One is they, uh, they agree with the rule. The second is, is that they want the, the benefits that come from keeping it. And then the third one is fear. They fear the consequences for if they don't keep the rules. They may not agree with the rules. They may not even care about any type of personal benefit that comes from it other than the fact that they're not going to have to deal with the consequences of it. So it's really motivated by fear told a story there in chapel of when I was in Iwana as a kid. I was on one side of the room, and my mom was working in Iwana. She was a Iwana leader, and she was on the other side of the room. And I was kind of messing around. It was my friend. Shocking, I know. I was messing around. And then I happened to look over, and I saw my mom. She was now looking at the children that she was supposed to be leading. Shame on her she was looking at me. <laughs> the death stare, all right? Okay. The death stare from across the room. I started obeying the rules immediately then. Why? I feared my mom. Okay. I feared what was going to happen. Okay. So these make sense. Okay. So I said, there's four There's three. You know, I've gone through the third. What's the, what's the last reason? And this is the most important one. So if it's not because we agree with this, not because we don't care about benefits, and maybe we don't even have fear, what should motivate us to keep rules? Love. We love the rule maker. That's the reason why. We love the rule maker. So where does this come from when I say this, oh, come let us adore him? We're supposed to adore him. We're supposed to live lives of faithfulness. That's only going to come if we have actually have love for him. 1 John agrees. Or I should put it more accurately, I agree with 1 John. 1 John, because that's the standard, not me. 1 John chapter 5 verse 2 says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. And so love leading to faithfulness. This is when we say, I'm going to adore the Christ child this Christmas Eve. Understand that that's the beginning of faithfulness. So when we say, oh, come all ye faithful, it's not necessarily saying, okay, you've got to be faithful in order to come to Jesus. It's actually communicating. That's why I think Wade goes over and over again, oh, come let us adore him, oh, come let us adore him. Love is going to lead to faithfulness. That's how we are going to live a faithful life is we love Christ above all else. Uh, Matthew 22 captures this for us. Um, And this is what, and this is the example I gave to students in chapel. Jesus is our example here. John 14, Jesus said this, I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. You see, love and obedience, that is the best connection right there. More than fear, more than personal benefits, more than even agreement. It's love that will lead you to faithfulness. So you love Christ. You love Christ. You ask God to remove all things in your life that are hindering you from loving Christ supremely. What a great prayer on Christmas Eve, right? Say, remove anything in my life, anything that's capturing my affections that may be causing me to love uh, you less and these things more. That is what leads to faithfulness. So come, all ye faithful. Love. Adoring Christ leads to faithfulness. But it says, oh come all you faithful, joyful as well. And adoring Christ also brings joy. It brings joy. Joy is a result of doing what we were designed to do. And you and I were designed to adore Christ. We're designed to adore God. This is our design, and yet we allow sin to distract us from that. But here in our lives, if we want true joy in our lives, it's, it's found in adoring Christ above all else, above everything else that, that we can do, any sports, about any team, any hobby, uh, against any type of, of uh, uh, educational uh, progress or uh, a career a promotion. Joy is found in doing what we're designed to do, and that is adoring Christ. Now, we can do all those things through a love of God that I just talked about, but that is not what's gonna bring true joy in our lives. So this Christmas Eve, if you're wondering where joy is at, I'm telling you where it's at. It's, a, it's in a manger. It's where our Christ child was born. Oh, come let us adore him. That's what joy, where joy is at. And then... Um, Oh, let me show you 1 Peter real quickly here. Through you, uh, excuse me, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Do you see that? You love him. And then it goes right into joy there. Peter, you know what Wade writes about here, Peter had written about even before Wade wrote about it is that the adoring Christ brings joy. But then it says this, "Oh, come all you faithful, joyful, and triumphant. Lastly, here we have, is that adoring Christ is the path to triumphal living. Now, I want to be careful with this because, you know, this this phrase or sometimes people call it victorious Christian living or things like that, it's actually, it finds itself sometimes in um, errant theology. But but it is true that we are called to live lives that we are triumphing over sin and that we are getting better uh, spiritually. And so I think what Wade is capturing here is what the Bible teaches, this idea of sanctification. Sanctification is this idea of once we 're saved, then God puts us into this lifelong process where he changes and we become more like Christ, okay so faithful, joyful, and then triumphant over those sins that, um, that that ensnare us, and we must love Christ more than sin. Uh, or ourselves. And the Bible often talks about uh, sin as in the passions of the flesh. And one of those passages is Romans chapter 6. And so I put it up here. It might be kind of hard to read because it's a little bit smaller, but I put it up there because it's just a crucial text here for us. And we read to you. It says, We know that our old self was crucified with him, okay, in Christ. So what Paul's talking about here is that when we're saved, when we are accepted Christ as our Savior, we're regenerated. Our old life is like kind of crucified with him because he went to the cross for a reason. It's crucified in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So he's saying the reason why we're saved is that to break that curse, to break that enslavement to sin. So the question is, this Christmas Eve morning, do you consider yourself dead to sin? Or are you just so ensnared by sin? And the Bible is very, te- is very clear and teaches that if we are in Christ, if we have asked him to save us from our sins, we can consider ourselves dead to sin. Now, that doesn't mean that we're never going to sin again, but what that does mean is that we don't have to sin anymore. But so many times we live as if we have no option but to sin. But here, this is the path adoring Christ leads to triumphal living. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey what? It's passions. It's passions. What's love, what we love in our hearts. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. You see, this is why we adore Christ, is because one of the things he did for us, if we believe in him, is he's actually broken the bond to sin that we had, the chain to sin that we had, that enslaved us to sin. He shattered that. And so he says, You don't have to do this anymore. So come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. That's only found, triumphal living is only found in adoring Christ. It's found in Christ. So this Christmas Eve, this is how we're faithful. This is how we're joyful. This is how we're triumphant. It's in adoring Christ. So not only does Jesus deserve our adoration, but adoring him is the key to living this life as we were intended to live. We simply cannot live a faithful life apart from adoring Christ. It's impossible. There will be no joy in your lives unless we love Christ above all else. And sin will always capture our affections unless we love Christ as he deserves. So above all, Jesus deserves our adoration, but it's also in our best interest to do so. Even if it wasn't in our best interest, he still deserves the glory. He deserves our adoration, but God is so kind. Jesus is so kind that he also puts it in our best interest to do so. Come all you faithful, joyful, and triumphant.